1: its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
2: Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point. doesn't feel for you, Einstein said he could never understand it all, planets are spinning through space. Sliding down, I'll down. Try not to try too hard. it's just mirror
3: welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor this hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain now here's your host Jay Taylor
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And actually giving away a little bit about my age here. I've been publishing this newsletter since 1981 when I worked as a banker, credit analyst, lending officer later on, and it was a hobby in those days. In 1997, I resigned my investment banking job at ING Bearings in New York to devote full time to the newsletter. Then we had a number of years that were... Not so great for the newsletter writing business, at least to do with gold mining companies, because we still had a number of years. we were in a bear market for gold. But 2002, that changed from about 250 gold price to well over a1,000 dollars now. And, and times are much, much better for my business, for those that are investing in the junior sector and the uh, resource sector since those days. Uh, well, we'll have more to say about the junior mining sector in a few minutes. We're going to have a couple of companies with us today to talk about their projects. Um, I want to thank each of you for listening to our show. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially possible. They are Sand Gold, Hawthorne Gold, Magellan Minerals, Timmins Gold Corp., International Wayside, now um, Barkerville Gold, changed its name, Crocodile Gold Corp., Metanor Resources, Riverside Resources, Western Pacific Resources, Pediment Gold, Silvercrest Mines, and Resource Consultants resource consultants is a licensed precious metals broker. It's headed by Pat Gorman. We're thankful to hear that Pat uh, is better now. He's out of the hospital. He was ill and that's why we haven't had him on. He expects to be a rather regular guest on our show. We want to have Pat on our show not only because he's a sponsor but because he has great insights into the precious metals markets, has been in that business for many, many years and we think can add value to our show. So Pat, uh, I think, is going to be back with us next week. In any event, we wish Pat a speedy recovery and, uh, and full, a return to full health as soon as possible. We are also going to talk this week, uh, our special guests are, are Bill Murphy uh, and Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. So you might want to think about some questions. We're going to open up the phone lines and welcome questions from, from you uh, of Bill and Chris. Do you think the gold markets are rigged? Well, um, listen to see what, they, what Chris and Bill have to say with, re, with, that re, uh, with, re, re, with regard to that topic. Also, if you have some serious questions about that, or we would just like to know what you're thinking about. If, if there's some of you out there that think that's not the case, we'd like to hear from you as well, uh, as those of you who might be uh, singing in the same choir as the GATA, as the GATA folks are singing in. Well, our model portfolio has slipped a bit. We were up 8 or 9% earlier this uh earlier this year so far, but we're up just a slightly over 0 right now, I think 34 basis points the last I saw in our model portfolio. We're seeing some real weakness in the equity markets today is an exception. We're up I see 59 uh, points or so on the Dow. Uh, a little bounce back, but but last weekend, uh, last Friday, Thursday, Friday were some some very very severe down days. And there's some real concern on my part that we could be heading into some very, very difficult times ahead of us here, as we as we continue to move on uh, through this year. Uh, the fundamentals, first of all, from a fundamental point of view, John Williams, the economist, is pointing out that yes, we are having some very strong GDP numbers right now. There's no doubt about that. The consensus is for a 4.2% growth in the uh, in, in the latest quarter. Uh, the fourth quarter of last year. Um, However, John is looking at the fundamentals, and here's, I'd like to just quote, he says, irrespective of of whatever growth is reported initially for fourth quarter GDP, the U.S. economy is not booming. And the fourth quarter GDP likely will be the base against which a second or double dip downturn will be measured. And uh, GDP, as with key underlying series, should be showing some bottom bouncing at present And flat for the third and fourth quarter of 2009. And John thinks, though, that 2010, unless he's changed his vision, John is a hyperinflationist, thinks we could start to see the beginnings of a serious hyperinflation before the end of this year. Well, I'm not quite sure I agree with that. I want to keep an open mind with respect to that. That's why I put together my inflation deflation watch, which is really suggesting, uh, yeah, we're having a bounce back but we can't seem to get over the old peaks in my inflation-deflation watch in spite of the fact that we've had trillions of dollars of money created out of nothing. Well, and not exactly out of nothing, because here's the thing, folks. With respect to fiat money, the legal-based money and not the market-driven money, but the money that we're forced to use by law, it is created from debt. Debt is the raw material from which money is created. And as money is created, debt is created also. Well, in fact, what's happening is debt is growing at a much, much, much more rapid rate than income is, is growing for reasons that Austrian economists understand very well, a concept called malinvestment. People really, uh, when you pump a lot of money into the economy, it cannot be put to good use. It cannot be put to efficient use. And so what you have is more and more debt growing at a much more rapid rate then the income grows. So I think, frankly, my, my sense is that we are still heading for some very serious deflation. And I know there's lots of you out there that disagree with that and love to hear from you on that topic too sometime. But that's the way I see it now, folks, and I have to call it as I see it. Now, one of the reasons that I think we have a real serious uh, deflationary uh, period ahead of us, I look at something called the 52-week global U.S. dollar liquidity measure Charlie Clow, who was at Merrill Lynch during the Asian crisis, made me aware of this. And I started tracking this ever since the Asian crisis, because if you start to see the monetary aggregates or the liquidity growing, then that pretends inflation. And there have been three major humps since the Asian crisis. The first one culminated with the uh, the bubble, the stock market bubble in 2000. The second one culminated and, and really predicted the decline in the housing market as that bubble started to deflate. And now the granddaddy of all bubbles that we see now was the one after Lehman Brothers collapsed in 2008 when the Federal Reserve pumped money into the system. This measure of global U.S. dollar liquidity, the world's reserve currency liquidity, peaked at an annual rate of 48% earlier, uh, I should say, along about the spring of 2009. Well, from 48%, we're now down to 16%. And folks, what I've seen happen twice before over this last decade, whenever we've seen this big, uh, decrease in this in this monetary aggregate, we've seen huge bubbles popping, imploding, if you will. And I believe that we are very, very close to the next leg down in the equity markets, in the asset price price markets, in the prices for commodities in general. I'd just like to read Robert Prechter's uh, latest, um, a quote from Robert Prechter's latest Elliott Wave financial forecast. I've only got about three minutes here in the first segment, but Prechter says, the message of wave principle for early 2010 is just the opposite of what it was for early 2009, when a nearly complete complete primary degree decline indicated that a bear market rally was approaching. That rally, primary wave two, up from March, is in its very late stages. Once top tick is confirmed, stocks will fall harder and faster than they did throughout 2008. Subscribers need to keep in mind that Wave 3 will not take as long as Wave 1 to generate intense downside momentum. Third, wave are, third waves are almost always stronger than first waves. In countless areas, the downtrend will jump start from where it left off near the March low. The stresses and fears that dominated the financial scene throughout the winter of 2009 should resume in short order. I might mention... Uh, that Robert McHugh is very much on the same page with um, with Robert Prector on this in this score, and last weekend Dr. McHugh put out a notice that he thinks we have seen the top in wave b up that 's wave two according to Prector nomenclature, and that we are starting now wave c down and uh, McHugh basically thinks that it may not start in earnest until later in the year but nonetheless he thinks the top is in for this corrective wave b in an a b c pattern as the elliott wave folks like to discuss it um... robert McHugh also warned this last week of a decision made by the supreme court that has gone little noticed in in most monetary and most uh, economic commentary that i've heard the supreme court apparently decided that corporations are the same under the law as people and therefore, there will be no restrictions anymore to how much money Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and the really, really rich firms, the companies that can create money out of nothing, can take that money and buy elected officials like never before. Folks, uh, McHugh thinks, and I tend to agree with him, that this could really be bad, be bad for us. In fact, McHugh is taking it to the, to the extreme and suggesting that this almost seals our fate for the worst possible sea wave down, the cataclysmic decline to change, uh, nation-changing decline that McHugh has been talking about. Well, all this may sound very, very dire, and I think it is in many ways. However, there is a bright cloud, I think some bright, bright things to look forward to. For one, we know that gold mining companies have always done very, very well in this kind of environment. So I'm suggesting that we keep our powder dry, that we keep cash on the side to buy some great, some great gold mining opportunities I'm also suggesting to my subscribers last weekend that they increase their holdings of the Prudent Bear Fund, cut back a little bit on the speculative junior mining companies, because I do think we're going to have a major decline in the equity markets, and you can probably hedge yourself through the Prudent Bear, or FH is a symbol for the short, standard, and poors on the New York Stock Exchange Company. We have talked frequently of late about the importance of gold and how gold uh, gold mining companies do extremely well, when asset prices plunge in a deflationary credit environment, that's exactly where I think we're headed. Some of you may disagree, as I said earlier, but if we are heading in that direction, history suggests this will be the very best time to own gold mining shares. And we have, I think, some, some very, very interesting, spectacular gold mining share opportunities that are coming our way. I just recommended one last week in my newsletter. It's called Silvercrest Mines, Inc., And Silvercrest Mines, Inc. is a sponsor of this show. You can subscribe to my newsletter to read my report. But actually, I have some good news for you. We are going to have the CEO, Scott Drever, of Silvercrest with us in just a few minutes. So after the break, we'll be back with Scott Drever. He'll tell you about Silvercrest Mines and that company's prospects in Mexico. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of like River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Well, I mentioned uh, in the previous segment that I believe we are heading into one of the greatest bull markets, not only for gold, but for gold mining companies. And the reason I'm so bullish about gold mining has to do with my deflationary views. You know, Most people think of gold as an asset to own during inflation, and gold itself can protect your wealth in an inflationary environment, but gold also does even better during a deflationary environment. Why do I say that? I say that because during a deflationary environment, during a credit implosion, the real price of gold or what an ounce of gold buys goes up vis-a-vis almost everything else. I think it's going to go up compared to the U.S. dollar, some real hardcore deflationists like Robert Prechter don't think so. Uh, some of my other friends like Ian Gordon and others believe that uh, that, that gold is going to go up a lot uh, compared to the dollar as well. Time will tell uh, if we're going to deflate or if Walter Williams is right and we head into an inflationary environment. But the most important thing is if we are in a deflationary environment, most people don't understand this, but gold mining companies do extremely well. So I am very pleased to have Scott Drever. He's the president of Silvercrest Mines with me. I just, as I mentioned, just recommended this company to my subscribers last weekend. I actually talked about it on BNN, uh, Canada's uh, national business uh, television station, last weekend. Uh, It's a company that I became more familiar with when I was in Vancouver last weekend and uh, really started to, when I took a close look at it, realized I think it's very, very undervalued. So I'm really pleased to have you with me, Scott. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
5: Jay, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure to, to uh, speak with you again.
4: Well, it's my pleasure to talk with someone who has uh, gotten his, his fingernails dirty in the past. I mean, you are an action guy. You're, a, you're an engineer, I believe, aren't you, Scott? Uh,
5: I'm uh, actually a geologist.
4: A geologist, but, but you, but but you the dirty have engineers on your staff who have, who have put mines into production in the past. That's correct, Could you mention who some of those folks are?
5: Uh, sure. I've been involved with uh, some uh, large companies, uh, but also a couple of juniors that have had producing uh, mines. Eric Fear is our COO, and Eric has, um, I think this is his fourth mine that he's, that he's been involved in bringing on stream, and uh, two of those were almost identical to the Santa Elena that we're working on mm-hmm. now. And Barney Magnuson is our CFO, and
4: Barney's financed
5: uh, three companies through to production. So mm-hmm. We've got a, a, a good, solid group of uh, management
4: people, and and really, Scott, nothing is more important when I look at companies than than knowing that you've got people that have done it before, who are experienced. Because making a mine is a very complicated task. Even the even the simplest ones have things that can go wrong, and so it's very seldom do I see a mine come on pre- prod uh, they come on stream and produce at the very time you expect it to, or within the cost limits. But you are expecting to start producing. At your flagship mine called the Santa Elena project in Mexico, is it like the middle of this year? I believe, isn't it, Scott?
5: Uh, that's <clears throat> that's correct, Jay. Uh, we've uh, been under construction, if you will, since about November, and uh, we really hit our full stride here in in uh, mid January. Once the the holidays were over, um, we're looking to have that uh, producing at least initial gold uh, pours by probably June or July of this year. So. We're well on the way to the uh, through this construction phase, and we've got some really good people uh, doing the, the management of the construction as well as our, our people overseeing what they're doing.
4: Okay, Scott, do you have all the money you need now to get into production, do you think?
5: Yes, we do. Uh, we were able to put uh, a number of pieces of the financing together over the last year or so, uh, we raised about $6.5 million Canadian in equity in an offering uh, mid-last year. Uh, we also did a, a, a gold production uh, agreement with Sandstorm Resources, mm-hmm. uh, who provided $12 million U.S. up front, uh, and will pay us an additional 350 an ounce uh, for the ounces that they uh, receive over the open-pit uh, production. And in addition to that, we have a $12.5 million loan facility with Macquarie's Bank, of which we've used about half of that to acquire the property 100% with no residual royalties. And so we have about $6.5 million left. That's U.S. dollars to draw down against that facility for working capital and things as we go forward. Okay, and I believe
4: there may be some uh gold loan attached to that or some gold hedging attached to that if you could just tell our listeners about that.
5: Sure, on the on the Macquarie deal or the Macquarie loan facility, there was a requirement for us to hedge uh about 55,000 ounces and we did that over 3-year period uh and uh we fixed the price on that about 926. That's $926 uh, an ounce. So mm-hmm. um That will be essentially a guaranteed income for that portion of the of the uh, revenues, and uh, that'll get cleared off in the first three years of production.
4: Okay, so nine hundred and twenty-six on the gold loan, which is you know somewhat under under the current spot price of gold, I guess. But but could you give us an idea what your cost per ounce, your cash cost, and your overall cost per ounce might be on the project?
5: Sure. The we have about $20 million worth of capital. I think that will uh, be the at least the projected number for the CapEx on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, our operating cost over the six years plus of, of uh, mine life will be about $375 an ounce U.S. Uh, the initial few years will be probably less than that in the order of 250 to 275 because of strip ratios and things that impact your cost. Uh, but overall, we're looking at about 375 an ounce, which, which leaves us good margin on the, the hedge portion. And, of course, probably 55% of the of our planned production of, of about 50,000 ounces uh, of gold equivalent per year uh, remain unhedged. Uh, there is a silver component to this that, that, that obviously is unencumbered uh, by either the Sandstorm or the Macquarie deal.
4: Okay, could you tell us how much gold and silver you're expected to produce on, on average um, per year for the project, given what you have now? And I know that you have some exploration potential when I want to ask you about that in the couple of minutes we have left. But how much gold and how much silver do you expect to produce each year? And is that uh, $375 cost figure, does that take into consideration a silver credit?
5: Uh, y- yes, to answer your last question first, the, mm-hmm. that does take in the, uh, the silver credit. Uh, we think we will produce between thirty-five and forty thousand ounces of gold per year, and probably six hundred to eight hundred uh, thousand ounces of silver per year for a full six-year period. And then there's because it's a heap leach, there's a couple of trickle down years on and a partial uh, production this year. But overall, those would be the averages.
4: And then I know that you have uh, some sulfide potential that, is, uh, that's, that would have to be milled from depth. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, that's true. There's actually three stages to this, uh, to this project, uh, Jay. One is the open pit phase, which are all the numbers that we've been talking about. Uh, the second stage of this, and that is an open pit heap leach uh, operation, the second stage uh, that we see coming into play here would be to retreat the, he, uh, the depleted heaps, because uh, our grades going onto those heaps are probably three times what most normal heap leaches uh, encounter, and so there's a lot of there's probably eighty to a hundred million dollars worth of recoverable metal in those depleted heaps, and we would uh, expand our facilities to to uh, Put in a conventional mill that would treat those heaps as well as uh, treat the three to two to three hundred thousand ounces that we see underground right now, mm-hmm. which is still open. So, yes. all in all, there there is some good room for expansion on the reserves and resources that we have defined to date, and then the expiration potential of the property is is really really quite dramatic. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, we have three parallel zones to Main zone, which we will develop first, uh, that we have yet to explore
4: well that 's really interesting because I know that your uh, your projected recoveries are fairly low for silver, i think thirty five percent or something like that, and on the heap and maybe sixty five percent on the gold, so you 'd be leaving a lot of metal left behind on the on the heap uh, leeches, but then, if you can take that through a, a mill obviously it would it would re- it would really boost the return on on investment for your project, I would think well. Uh, can I just ask you, just so we can, uh, we just have less than about a minute left here, so I need to ask you just, I want to cut to the, to the chase and, and help uh, listeners understand what this all means per share of stock. Now, you have 70, 79 million fully diluted shares outstanding. Going back to your numbers, you said uh, 35,000 ounces of gold, I believe you said, and 600,000 ounces of silver. But if we just look at the 35,000 ounces of gold at three hundred and seventy five dollars and then, you know, investors can kind of get an idea of what kind of cash flow you should be able to produce from this project in the early days, never mind the longer-term, you know, sulfide and uh, exploration potential.
5: Exactly. I think the, probably the shortest way to do it is, is that, depending on what prices you pick for the silver and gold that we will produce on, that's unencumbered, uh, we will probably see $15 to $20 million to 20000000 dollars uh of net free cash flow after mexican tax mm-hmm. uh which i think overall probably works out to uh about 20 to 25 cents uh per year per year in in free cash flow
4: and then folks we're talking about a stock that's gone up some since i recommended it a week ago but it's at 97 cents i believe was the last i heard is that right scott beating at 97 cents today yep that's correct uh, so what I see here, uh, Scott, and the reason I, I brought this company to my subscribers' attention was that it's, it looks to be you know, very low-priced relative to the cash flow, and then you have lots of upside potential. I might, I might add, too, that uh, it boosted my confidence in your company also to see Sandstorm coming in as a financier to your company, because I know Sandstorm, I know those fellows there very well, and they do a very, very thorough due diligence before they put their $18 million into your project.
5: So. That, that's absolutely correct, Jay. Both both Sandstorm and Macquarie's uh, have done extensive um, due diligence on this. They have people on the ground. They've had their own experts look at our cash flows and projections, and uh, we've obviously passed mustard on both of those examinations. So I'm quite comfortable that, uh, as you said earlier, uh, things can go wrong. I think we've covered off uh, and reduce the risk on the many, many of the elements to the point where uh, this is as, as safe as you can get in, in, a, in a mining project.
4: Yeah, indeed. Well, anyway, it's uh, you know it's all about risk and return. I tell my subscribers, too, to never back the truck up and to buy any one stock. And I'm sure, Scott, you're all right with that as well, because as a mining guy, you know there are lots of things that can go wrong. But this one looks for... Re- Risk reward to me looks very, very attractive at this time. And not just saying that folks because Silvercrest is a sponsor and we are very grateful to them because they make this show financially spawn uh, possible, but also just because I, I really have looked at these numbers and it looks very, very attractive compared to its current share price. Thank you so much, Scott, for being with us. Uh I'll have to have you on again sometime I hope. And uh, maybe you'll have some maybe after you get into production sometime. In any event, don't go away, folks. We're going to take a break now, but we're going to have uh, Chris Powell and Bill Murphy, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, call in with your questions. Challenge Chris and Bill to their allegations that the gold market is rigged. We want to hear if there's any naysayers out there. We'd like to hear from you as well as those that are preaching, uh, that are part of the choir. We'll be right back with Chris and Bill. Don't go away.
3: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
6: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race, some kind of and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning hard, to hard Times turn into Good times. times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and it's a pleasure for me to have with me Chris Powell and Bill Murphy, the founders of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Uh, I don't suppose too many of you are unfamiliar with, with GATA, as it's called, but uh, uh, Bill and Chris, I've known for a number of years. I remember Bill Murphy must be close to eight or nine years ago when I first met up with Bill in Montreal, uh, along with Frank Veneroso and Bill was telling me about his uh, his vision for the Gold Antitrust Action Committee at that time. Very exciting. Of course, the Internet was just sort of breaking in at that time, and this is very much uh, it very I think GATA really illustrates the power of the Internet, the ability to get ideas out there that are not necessarily mainstream. In fact, the mainstream doesn't want to hear a lot of things that are on the Internet. And frankly, I believe that the mainstream sort of obscures the truth many times because it has its own vested interests. And you almost have to go to the fringes, to people that are almost sometimes deemed to be a bit crazy to find the truth. I honestly believe that. I've uh, been a friend of Ron Paul's for many, many years, remember... uh, one of my friends went off to visit another congressman in ohio and he referred to ron paul and his uh, republican colleague referred to ron paul as a nutcase well today there's not so many people thinking that ron paul is a nutcase in fact he is one of the most popular elected officials in america both among democrats and republicans and so chris powell and bill murphy especially bill you Bill played professional football for a little while, and some people were wondering for a while if maybe Bill didn't have his head banged in too often, and he was a little bit nuts. But you know what? Now people are starting to realize that Chris Powell and Bill Murphy were absolutely right. Even people like Dennis Gartman, for goodness sakes, are starting to say, yeah, maybe these guys are right. Maybe the gold markets are rigged, but does it really matter? Well, does it matter? That's one question I want to get to today. But first of all, I want to welcome Chris and Bill. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Thank you, Jay. Well, uh, it really has been a long, hard road for you guys. When did, uh, Bill, you were really the the first guy to start, uh, I think, to dream up of GATA, and then Chris joined you shortly thereafter. Is that right?
7: Uh, well, sort of, Jay. It's actually a joint thing. I was complaining about the manipulation of gold price by the bullion banks after the long-term capital management blew up and then, Uh, Chris was tired of me complaining, so he said, you're right, uh, let's do something about it, because it's a violation of antitrust activity, Uh and Chris has had some experience with his his, uh, newspaper experience. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, how is it a violation of antitrust? Could you just explain that, Chris?
7: Sure. Jay. um,
8: Any uh, combination and restraint of trade uh, is one of the the phrases of uh, of antitrust law. When... uh, people who are supposed to be competitors in the marketplace uh, collude in order to uh, uh, defeat the market. That is, uh, by definition, an antitrust uh, violation uh, under the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act, which are federal antitrust laws, and then we have 50 state uh, antitrust acts uh, throughout the United States. So uh, any combination that attempts to defeat a free market in uh, in what is supposed to be a free market uh, is uh, is against uh, federal and, and state antitrust law. The complication arises uh, in the gold market uh, because the uh, the U.S. government uh, and other Western central banks are are really the uh, the hidden parties in the anti competitive activity, uh, and so uh, uh, we can complain about violations of antitrust law, but. Uh, those who uh, support the manipulation of the gold market can can retort that uh, oh well, governments have the right to do this sort of thing and mm-hmm. uh, in fact uh, really ever since the uh, the gold reserve Act of nineteen thirty four uh, the federal government uh, has had the uh, authority to, to trade in gold now, and, and to trade in what they call hypothecations of gold, which means uh, imaginary gold or promises of gold. Um, now, we would argue that uh, this authority in the law to trade in gold is not the authority to rig markets surreptitiously, but we have not yet uh, been able to litigate that point. and And uh, I suppose at the moment we're not looking to litigate that point. We're simply looking to Expose the manipulation because I think once it's exposed and the exposure is understood widely enough uh, uh, the, the manipulation is understood wise, widely enough, it will fail from from recognition
4: uh-huh well it's interesting you talk about this topic because we had on our show last week Ed Griffin, and Ed was making the point that in fact, the Federal Reserve was created to uh, to deter or to keep uh, banks from being competitive essentially. And I said to Ed, I said, well, but look at the thousands of banks. How can you not have competition? And he pointed out that basically the Federal Reserve system controls the banking system and allows them to act in a non-competitive manner. So I guess Ed, I know that Ed is a big fan of GATA, has always been very grateful to you uh, to you guys for what you've done. And, and Ed, Ed was a believer in GATA from the very beginning because he understood the Federal Reserve and its workings and what it's doing. But I think, in my view, that gold is is probably the most important market to rig. Now, you know, people are that are saying that gold, the markets are not rigged. Uh, they they tend to forget that almost every other market is rigged besides gold, right?
7: Yeah, I was at <laughs> I was at a conference uh, last year, and I got a little upset with some of, even some of the gold people because they were getting into. Uh, um... How the other markets—that's what you're saying—were rigged. I mean, they talked about the plunge protection team in the stock market, which is pretty well documented if you look at it closely, and how the Fed was monetizing all the debt and making sure that the interest rates were a certain thing and uh, a certain rate, and pushing it down, and and coming into the market and buying, and other things that we've learned over the years. But they, when we then, and then they looked at us like we are cross-eyed because we talked about the gold and silver markets being rigged. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logic there.
4: Yeah. Well, indeed. I mean, uh, the Open Market Committee comes in and changes interest rates. That's a rigged market. Uh, You know, so it's hard to see. The inconsistency there is crazy. Well, you know, we have a caller on the line. His name is Pete. Uh, Would you like to put... uh, Pete, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. And you have a question or a comment for Bill and uh, Chris?
9: Well, I was just wondering what the guys'
5: thoughts are on the idea that the gold suppression idea or uh, program is maybe not just to suppress the price and prop up the dollar, but to mobilize sovereign gold into the market so that it can be accumulated quietly and secretly for the last two decades.
4: So accumulated by who, Pete? Um, by well,
5: who? people who are uh, trying to foresee the, the future of currencies and the collapse of fiat currencies.
4: You so know, so you might be talking about, about policymakers themselves or, or large banking interests perhaps?
5: or people on top of large banking interests
4: like yeah. uh,
5: Rothschilds, Rockefellers, that sort of thing.
4: Yeah. Any thoughts, Bill and Chris on that? Jay, we don't have any uh, evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Um, our uh,
8: uh our evidence has been that that gold is is manipulated by central banks largely mm-hmm. because it has such influence. Mm -hmm. over the value of government currencies and government bonds and interest rates uh, generally. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly, central banks operate through intermediaries, and they operate surreptitiously through intermediaries, and the reward for those intermediaries is advanced knowledge of central bank policy so that uh, these intermediaries can... Uh, enrich themselves uh, really on the basis of insider information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think the, the the scheme is so much bigger than gold, even though gold is the key to the whole scheme.
7: I mm-hmm. know well, it's interesting what uh, uh, Pete said that that's uh, mentioned Rothschild. Well, I, I know when it was 2004, after hundreds of years, they got out of the gold price fixing business in London. And, and right to me, and of course, I said, why, I said, this is the most bullish thing we could ever see. And of course, it turned out to be true. And two, uh, perhaps they have an interest in going counter to what we call a gold cartel, and they want to get away from it so they could act independently. I have no knowledge of that. Don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And three, that the potential that there's going to be some problems coming up these days with, with a default issue in terms of physical gold, and they know what was coming, and these are very smart people, and they decide to get out. It's just very odd to do something for hundreds of years and to get out of something right
4: before the market takes off. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. You mentioned that, Bill. I recall that when Rothschilds got out of the lending business and out of the, they stopped fixing the gold market. Uh, You know, they were one of five companies that fixed the London the London PM fix. And I thought to myself at the time, you know, whereas the the mainstream was saying, "Oh, that's bearish for gold. That means that Rothschilds believes that gold isn't going to go anywhere." In fact, I I took the opposite view because I said, "Well, wait a minute. Rothschilds is there." Shorting gold, in essence, they're lending it out. Basically, that's what Rothschilds were doing, making gold loans to my, to companies and so forth. And they may have seen the handwriting on the wall. To Chris's point, I'm just thinking, Chris. You know, um, yes, Goldman Sachs has been accused not by not by Gata, but by a lot of more mainstream people of having insider information on all kinds of government activities. And these guys are taking down these huge bonuses. And I'm, mean, you know, I'm just wondering. And I know you don't have proof, and I appreciate that uh, that you're not going to charge somebody with something until you have the proof to back it up but you know there's speculation and my own speculation frankly is that we could see uh... you know these guys at goldman sachs who are taking down hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses putting that money off somewhere buying real estate in argentina god knows where buying their own gold fixing their own real real estate their own real assets because they may have a very good sense that the parasites are eating the remaining uh, muscle fiber of this carcass in this economy. And I uh, just wondered if you guys, you know, I, I don't want you to comment on that necessarily. No, Jay, real quick,
7: I'd love to comment on it because I have been charging with an emphasis JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs for years. Part of what America is now realizing what they've been doing in all the other markets. It's been plain as day. And it's real simple, really. I mean, everyone knows now that Goldman Sachs is the Treasury's bank. Yes. Yeah. All the people that go from Goldman Sachs to the Treasury, mm-hmm. and for years, anybody who follows the markets knows that the Fed's uh, bank um, is J.P. Morgan. As of uh, recently, with when they are served, uh, arranged for about the, the, the Bear Stearns mess. So no. this is almost established things that they're closely linked. We have followed their activity. If you look at what J.P. Morgan, for example, they're short. They have something like forty percent of the of the short position. Uh, on, on Comex silver, there's nobody close in any market anything like this. It's, yeah, it's on the record robber. for anybody to see.
8: Jay, yeah. what, one thing we we know uh, we don't have to speculate. We we know it's acknowledged. The Fed and the Treasury have conversations, secret conversations, private conversations at the highest levels, constantly, with Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs. They're both mm-hmm. primary dealers in U.S. government securities, and more than that uh Morgan Chase particularly is often the the very public agent of the treasury when mm-hmm. uh you know uh, there's a major financial crisis and we need somebody to step in with uh you know backed by government loans who is it it's it's Morgan Chase uh these people have constant confidential conversations with the highest people in the treasury department of the federal reserve they don't call you or me they don't call the public uh there is immense uh, special valuable information conveyed every day from Washington and the New York Fed to these particular firms. Uh, it is tradable information. Jay, yeah, so it's a monstrous corrupt system.
4: It is. Uh, it is. And you know, I wished I could say it was going to change and get better, but I don't know if you happen to hear the opening remarks to the show today. But I, uh, I brought up a point made by Dr. Robert McHugh, who writes an excellent newsletter, McHugh says that the supreme court ruled last week that a corporation is a person and that therefore there is now no limit to how much goldman sachs jp morgan and these guys can spend on elections now i've happened to believe that to a great extent the political system has already been sold out as you're suggesting and just the structure of the way things are now allows the insiders uh... these privileged characters to get richer at the expense of people that actually create the wealth in america but if we now have a system where there is no limits whatsoever to what these large corporations, the billions of dollars they can just—I would think—almost own completely own outright, and the last vestiges of free market democracy um, may be behind us. Any—I don't know, Chris. You're more in tune with the legal issues, but are you familiar with the uh, decision by the? Yeah, Court? it's it's funny,
8: Jay. Just before calling, you, I just finished writing a column for tomorrow on that oh. uh, decision and how it uh, might have particular implications here in uh, in Connecticut uh, as as policy uh, certainly letting corporations spend unlimited amounts on politics is is questionable at best and I don't look forward to uh, the results everywhere on the other hand as a matter of constitutional law it is hard for me uh, as uh, an officer of a news media corporation to uh, to argue with it uh, as a matter of law news media corporations have always had the right to spend unlimited amounts of money uh in uh, advocating uh, uh for political candidates and against political candidates yeah. i can do that my corporation can do that uh as a as a newspaper because we're exempt uh-huh. but uh any ordinary corporation has not been able to spend uh the same amount of money and i have to wonder what, what where's the the fairness there that one corporation can uh, devote itself to uh political advocacy uh, and that's you know totally legal, and another corporation cannot uh, further uh, in the particular case at issue raised uh, the question of uh, whether a corporation could subsidize a documentary uh, criticizing Hillary Clinton. Uh, well, I don't know why they shouldn't be able to mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, God knows uh, enough people have been shaken down in the United States for contributions in support of the Clintons. Yeah. Um, it, this is a complicated issue uh, to me, Jay, and I think yeah. the real the underlying issue is 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 a matter of trying to find a uh, a more democratic system of of campaign finance, and I'm. I have some ideas on on that, but I'm I'm not quite as outraged about the Supreme Court decision as as everybody else is, especially here in Connecticut, where we have such a sclerotic political system in this state. Uh, uh, I'm I'm almost really welcoming uh, unlimited corporate money to to shake up the the politics of our state because uh, something's got to shake things up. Maybe I'm being too nihilistic here, uh, wanting the wanting the system to be brought brought down but uh... i'm not quite as angry about this decision as maybe some other people are
4: okay well you raised some good points here chris i appreciate that i think that uh... my concerns is the concentration of power in the hands of fewer and fewer people that control the monetary system and you know i'm wondering if if a return to the gold standard might not be where we need to go or some sort of monetary uh... you know asset based money what that cannot be created out of thin air that cannot give these uh, policymakers, the uh, uh, large corporations, I say, that own the policymakers, from making decisions that just keep uh, the the direction going away from the middle class towards the rich and the powerful. But anyway, that's a little bit off topic from what I wanted to get to. With respect to GATA then you are a not-for-profit organization, I believe. Is that right?
8: Yes, that's right. We're a Delaware uh, corporation since uh, 1999, and. Uh, Uh, Since later that year, we've been recognized by the U.S. Internal Revenue Service as a 501c3 organization under the Internal Revenue Code, which uh, recognizes us as uh, an educational and civil rights organization uh, uh, tax-exempt so that uh, contributions to us are federally tax-exempt in the United States.
4: I'd like to go back to uh, a few years ago, uh, soon after you started. It was during the Clinton years, I believe. Uh, that you that Gata was started, and uh, we had Robert Rubin as our Treasury Secretary, and Lawrence Summers, I guess, became Treasury Secretary thereafter. Um, both of those guys were you know big big wigs in the in the Clinton administration. But we had something called the strong dollar policy of the uh, of the Clinton administration, and I believe that both of you think that gold played a role in that. Could you explain that?
7: Yeah, I'd like to get to that one because. I've I like to talk about it quite a bit, because it's a great story. Yeah. One of our guys, big supporters, Brian Hinchcliffe, the CEO of Kirkland Lake Gold, used to work for Robert Rubin in the late '80s in uh, Goldman Sachs and, in uh, London, and he was his gold trader. And what, what <laughs> Rubin was the first to borrow gold from central banks when interest rates were real high, know, eight, nine, 10 percent, borrow the gold instead of and for like one percent, and sell it in the marketplace, be a gold only owed, loan to the central bank.
4: Kind of a um, gold carry trade, if you yeah, will.
7: called the gold carry trade, and uh, of course he he, he he realized he could fund his operation. So think of the money he saved, as long as gold was the same, or went down. The gold was I don't know four five hundred and then or something, and uh, soon other uh, big CEOs and other companies heard what he was doing, and they all started doing the same thing, and then um, he became CEO of Goldman Sachs and U.S. Treasury Secretary. Well, you mentioned Frank Veneroso earlier, who I worked with for a year. He did this book, uh, a great book, 250 pages called the uh, Gold Book in 1998, and he thought back then that these gold loans, which the gold industry was not paying any attention to, could be as high as 8,000 tons. This was in 1998, and so anyway, the, what happened was, and Rubin took the same uh, idea as Treasury Secretary and made it part of the uh, the linchpin of his uh, strong dollar policy was keep gold the same or have it go down. And people will then not pay any attention to inflation or interest rates because gold is always uses as a barometer throm- thermometer mm-hmm. and that policy has been sustained uh, even though the strong dollar quote aspect of it went away because of our policies but the uh, the US government with the Fed and the Treasury and it would no matter who's in power have been doing the same thing ever since
8: yeah for, for a time Jay it was it was the most profitable sure thing on on earth if you could if you could borrow gold unlimited amounts of gold from central banks at a a virtually nil interest rate and sell the gold into the market and buy government bonds with it, you could could capture an interest rate spread of 4 or 5% with absolutely no risk as long as central banks were uh, not going to insist on you returning uh, the gold. Well, Uh the central banks did not want the gold back. They wanted the gold going into the market to uh, suppress the inflation indicator, as Bill said, uh, to support the uh, uh, the dollar uh, and the purchase of, int- of of government bonds with the with the proceeds of the gold sales, suppressed uh, interest rates and and drove up government bond prices and that was that was nirvana for the central banks.
4: Well, we're going to be right back. We've got to take a break now. We've got a caller on the line, and we want to pick up on that thought some more, Chris. There's, there's so much to talk about in the next, uh, next half hour that we have with you guys. So, folks, we'll be right back with Chris and Bill and a caller uh, on the line. So feel free to call in also if you have some questions for Bill and Chris. The number is 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. We'll be right back with Chris and Bill.
1: Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike river with gold prices near an all-time high investors should consider apollo gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market apollo gold trades on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol agt and on the toronto stock exchange under the ticker symbol apg visit apollo's website at www.apollogold.com apollo gold a golden opportunity for investment
6: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
3: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm delighted to have Chris Powell and Bill Murphy of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee with me here today, talking about the intervention or manipulation of the gold markets and uh, and I want to get to why that's important in a, in a couple of minutes before the end of the show, for sure. But before we do that, we've got a caller on the line, uh, Brian from Indianapolis. Brian, are you there?
10: Absolutely, I'm here. Thanks.
4: Brian, uh, thanks for coming on and, and asking. Uh, you have a question or a comment for Bill or Chris?
10: Um, I actually uh, have, have a question. Um, seeing as though you guys are uh, pretty knowledgeable about uh, you know some of the USA Gold forums, uh, there's been a lot of buzz with... Um, with Fofoa creating his new blog spot uh, about the comments of another and friend of another. And what I'm curious to know is what you think the likelihood of free gold actually happening is. And actually, you guys can, are welcome to explain what free gold is, uh, as well as whether if you think it is <clears throat> practical and if, if you think that, um, that some of these people who are in, involved in the manipulation um, might, you know, whether they would, one, let it happen, and two, whether, you know, they, they have an interest in making it happen be curious to know your guys' thoughts on that.
4: Well, uh, thank you for that. Now, I'm wondering maybe you can enlighten the host here myself and let me know what you mean by free gold. Could you just explain that for my sake and, and for the sake of the audience?
10: Sure. Um, as, as I understand free gold, again, through mostly uh, the comments of another and friend of another from the USA Gold Forum mm-hmm. and uh, from FOFOA's website, um, FOFOA, um, I'm understanding that basically gold is going to, as he articulates it, become uh, actually de- demonetized instead mm-hmm. of being re-monetized. Mm-hmm. And that it's going to serve essentially as, um, um, as a wealth reserve, as the, as the wealth reserve par excellence, but it won't um, serve as a, as a transactional currency and serve okay. as, you know, the unit of account mm-hmm. aspect of the currency, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
4: Yeah, I think it does make sense. I mean, I in in my way of thinking that's sort of what we have now. But Bill or Chris, would you like to comment?
8: Well, if if we're talking about, uh, you know, gold trading freely, uh not tied to any particular monetary system, well, you know, that's really been God's objective from mm-hmm. <laughs> from day one. Um now uh, this however is a political decision and it's a worldwide political decision because central banks are meddling in the currency and, and gold markets uh, every day uh the uh, another and friend of another postings uh, were always suggesting that Europeans were going to be prodding the world uh, toward a a system where you know gold was not going to be quite as manipulated anymore i i don't know about that uh it's uh, it was always murky you didn't know who was uh, making these uh, suggestions so you just had to kind of take them uh for the value of his own ideas but uh i i would say gata is not a gold standard organization gata advocates a, a free market in the precious metals and uh i believe anyway uh, jay that uh the uh, central banks are so much or have been so much against a free market in the precious metals that that is the uh the solution, more than a gold standard. I mean, I'm very libertarian about these things. I want people to be able to use whatever money they mm-hmm. they want to be able to use. If you want to use a government money, go ahead. Just don't mess with uh, with gold and silver. Leave the public uh, that option of getting out of a government system whenever they feel the government system does not deserve their uh, their confidence. And if that is uh, free gold, then well, that's really what God has been working for.
7: JD, a uh, uh, big deal here is that. Uh, Word to bring up is the world's changing. First of all, the European central banks were selling four and five hundred tons of gold years ago. Since September they've sold zipti duda. I mean that's a big deal. There's a big supply demand deficit out there. Um, the gold cartel is bleeding what gold they have to do what they are doing to come with the gold price. But most importantly, gold is picking up speed all over the world. We know about the Indian central bank buy. The Chinese become the biggest buyers in the world. The Indians are huge buyers. Some other central banks are buying. And with the nightmare that the United States have, which I know you've articulated very well in all your commentaries, I mean, there's no solution. If anything, the problems that the United States and other countries, and especially us, because we've got this unending wars and all these other things, are facing, are unsolvable right now. I mean, and the the amount of pressure to continue to print and, and, and bail out, it, it, it is, it's going to pick up speed. And... More and more of the big players are going to gold, and that's on the increase, not on the wane. So, whatever they want to use for gold, people want to sell it, buy it, use it as money, not as money. What I do know is they're going to go to it because it's safe and there's no counterparty risk, and they want it because they're scared to death of debasement of every other currency in addition to the dollar.
4: Right, indeed. Now, let me ask you a question at the Committee for Monetary Research and Education in new York is c m r e. It's a semiannual dinner. I know I think both of you have been speakers there in the past, but as I recall, one time one of the sort of establishment speakers there was saying, after gold had risen to five hundred bucks or so, he says, "See there, that's evidence there's no there's no manipulation of the gold price. The gold price is rising. These guys are crazy to be talking about the gold price rising when." If, if the uh, policymakers were really capable of keeping it down, they're certainly not showing their, that capability, so therefore it's not manipulated at all. What do you say to that sort of argument?
7: Well, if anybody watched silver drop $2.25 or something like this, or $2.50 the past six trading days, they would, uh, they would question that kind of a statement. Mm-hmm. What, what they're doing, simply put, and it's a little bit complicated, when we said this years ago, they are what they call managing a retreat. Mm-hmm. That's what they have. The, all they're doing is trying to keep the excitement down. They don't have enough physical gold up to keep the price down. Frank Veneroso, well, we, we mentioned a couple times now. came like, to one of our conferences in Durban, South Africa, May tenth, two thousand and one, and said seven to ten years, the central banks will run, run out of enough available gold to do what they've been doing at suppressing the price. And sure enough, in, if, uh, we're in the middle of that zone right now, and that's what the central banks have. Uh, European central banks aren't selling. It's drying up. All they can do is conduct raids like they've just done recently to take the price down. You go back and it's going year after year. We'll make new highs again this year and take off. And the good thing is is that the acceleration is coming because they're starting to get down to to a very dangerous area. They don't have the ammunition to meet a yearly supply demand deficit of over a thousand tons.
8: Jay, um, as to rising price disproving manipulation, yeah mm-hmm. uh, we are often called a you know conspiracy theory organization, and I mm-hmm. resent that very much i uh, think we're a we're a public records uh, organization we We collect uh, documents we we collect public statements and over the years we've you know collected uh, uh, you know probably a couple of dozen admissions uh, or strong indications of the gold price suppression scheme but and we've published these they're maintained in the documentation section of our, our internet site but uh... the documentation of the gold price suppression scheme includes uh... on the record acknowledgments from at least three former chairmen of the federal reserve board particularly alan greenspan and william McChesney martin uh... and arthur burns we have uh, documents either statements by them uh, or uh... minutes of the federal open market committee or memorandums in which they all acknowledge a scheme uh, that the united states has been involved in to suppress the the price of gold there are many other documentations uh... all the public record that we've compiled uh, over the years showing the gold price suppression has been the primary aim of United States foreign economic policy for many, many years. But going right into the present, this is not ancient history. It does go back a long time, but it's you know is, is, is recent uh, in terms of the admissions. Is Alan Greenspan? Uh, you know, there's several admissions from from Greenspan. So uh, a rising price uh, for gold. Is no disproof of the gold price suppression scheme we have the documents that, that show yeah. that the central banks have have made this a policy and have acknowledged if you look closely enough, but they are very confident that the uh, major financial media will never publicize this stuff because it's it's just so
4: sensitive right well certainly that uh, I think bill's point that it's uh, they're managing the retreat or managing uh, Uh, You know, trying to keep the gold price from exploding higher and and losing confidence in paper money. Do you think that's the the ultimate goal? Well, Jay, this
7: is important because there's some uh, little little Mickey Mouse things. I don't want to make Mickey Mouse, but uh, I suppose it might be anal to what we do. But there's a two percent rule. Gold's not allowed if you go back to 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 close. More than two percent higher on a given day. It used to be the two dollar rule ten years ago. (laughs) Became the six dollar rule. Never more than six dollars in change in a day. And now, because of the greater price range of volatility, it's two percent. It happens every single time. So we've not seen a daily move over two percent in some
4: time. Is that right? What? We've not seen a daily move over two percent in some time. It
7: happened twice already this year. Just the first month. Less than the first month. So, no.
8: the, the gold price suppression scheme is part of the more general Western Central Bank scheme mm-hmm. to manage the currency and bond and commodity markets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, gold is, is, is not uh, alone in this. This is a general currency, uh, commodity, and bond market regulation scheme.
3: Mm-hmm. And
8: uh, there's all sorts of people who recognize this, uh, perhaps the... The first one, to figure it out comprehensively, was a British economist named Peter Warburton uh, who uh, wrote an essay uh, called uh, The Debasement of World Currency. It is inflation, but not as we know it. It's still posted at the Gold Eagle Internet site. He published that in 2001, and it it was a a comprehensive explanation of how the central banks were trying to manage the currency and commodity markets. Uh, Gold is only uh, a part of it. Uh, but it is really the most essential part
4: it's the most essential I think in my view because it probably because it has to do with the confidence in the monetary system uh, Chris you were mentioning a while ago that you'd like to see people free to use government money if they'd like but also free to use silver or gold or whatever they would also like to use as a medium of exchange what uh, why is that not the case I mean our
5: Well, we have uh,
8: what Ron Paul has been uh, railing against for years, uh, legal tender laws that uh, require uh, people to accept the government currency. uh, In most uh, circumstances, if you look at your paper currency in your wallet, you'll find that it says, uh, you know, this uh, note is, uh, uh, you know, payable for, uh, uh, you know, payment for all debts, public and private. Uh, This is the... Coercion that the government uses to give value to its money. Uh, and okay, I, I, I accept that. Uh, but uh, I just ask this small, small thing for those of us who would like limited government and individual liberty, and that is free markets and the precious metals, so that when we don't like what the government is doing with the monetary system, we can get out into our own system. Of course, that's exactly what the governments fear most of all.
4: And of course, then there's tax issues, too, that keep us from doing that, I believe.
8: Yeah, uh, you know, there's a question of uh, capital gains on uh, mm-hmm. uh, gold and silver bullion appreciation. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's a subsidiary issue. Uh, I believe that uh, the gold standard is not the necessity today. The, the free market for the precious metals is the necessity because the free market for the metals, I think, alone will be enough
4: uh, to discipline the governments. Well, I would tend to agree with you there, Chris, uh, because I think if we had a free market for gold, that probably um, at least history would suggest that people would start to go back to that because if you want to get paid, you want to get paid in something you know is going to retain its value. Yeah, if people
8: are given a choice between a a sound money and an unsound money, they're going to take the sound money, and that will discipline governments that want to issue their own currencies uh, unbacked by any particular commodity to operate the system in a more sound way. Uh, now I know I I probably sound uh, a little too Pollyannish or, uh or idealistic, but I do think that the the effort that the Western central banks and particularly the United States government have put into controlling the gold and silver markets over the last few decades is is proof of my position. It's what they fear most.
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to move on to uh, something called Gibson's paradox. If you fellows would talk about Gibson's paradox and explain what what that is and why that's important.
8: Well, I got that on my screen right now. Jay uh, uh, Gibson's paradox and the gold standard was a uh, uh, long academic essay written in 1988 in uh, a publication called the Journal of Political Economy uh, by Lawrence uh, uh, Summers uh and a fellow named uh, Barsky who was a colleague of his uh, professor's at at Harvard uh this paper uh analyzed the relation between gold and interest rates uh, over the years and it uh, determined that there was a basically inverse relationship between gold and interest rates and it it strongly implied that governments could get control of interest rates if they could control the gold price um, we've always suspected that uh, Summers is co-author of this paper uh was uh, the one who uh, uh sort of organized and inspired the gold price suppression scheme in the Clinton administration mm-hmm. uh, uh you may recall uh, uh I think it was Bob Woodward wrote a book about uh, uh, the early Clinton administration and he he quoted Clinton's uh uh resentment that he could not undertake all the social programs he wanted to because all of his advisors were telling him, No, the the one thing you've got to do is is make the bond market happy. There's a famous quote in that book uh where uh, uh Clinton says, Oh, this is great. They're you know, they're trying to turn us into a bunch of Eisenhower Republicans to make the bond market happy. And I've always suspected that you know Summers uh, came up to him with Rubin and said, "Well, you know what? We can snooker the bond market. Uh, we can snooker the bond market by rigging the gold price mm-hmm. and uh, getting a gold gold carry trade going, mm-hmm. and buying government bonds with the uh, the, the, the disorted gold and driving interest rates down, uh, and driving bond prices up, and we'll fool the bond market that way, and that will." Uh, allow us to unleash all your social programs because the bond market won't know what the hell's going on, and uh, I think we can trace that back to uh, uh, Summers's paper, Gibson's Paradox of the gold standard. you can find that on God's internet site
4: well that's interesting, um Chris and Bill, because we of course gold has risen to over a thousand dollars, and the bond markets are still very strong, they seem to be strong, or are we experiencing the the fruits of quantitative easing here perhaps, and interest rates are staying low because because the government's uh, coming into, uh, that is, uh, the Treasury or the Federal Reserve is coming in to buy the debt. That's one question. Another one, John Hathaway was on this show a couple weeks ago, suggested that basically foreign governments are continuing to buy U.S. debt to an extent because they're all trying to cheapen their own currency, so they're buying U.S. dollars, U.S. dollar dollar treasury. Just wondered if either of you guys have any thoughts on that. What what might be going on now? Because certainly, as I say, the gold price has gone up, but interest rates... Long-term rates have have remained uh, extremely low.
7: Well, a couple of interesting points here, Jay. One, uh, I think is pretty well known what what the Fed is doing in terms of what they call you know, call monetizing it. I mean, they're coming in in the market, and what's the number? Something fifty to seventy percent is what of the supply they're buying up, at wow. according to certain sources. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that. I would laugh when people say gold's a lousy investment because it's because it's commonly known or said now that if gold were allowed to keep up with inflation, it would be twenty three hundred dollars an ounce. Yeah. Well, we come back and say, <laughs> you're giving yeah. us the god of stories." and yeah. Gold hasn't kept up with other uh, inflationary items and other commodities exactly for what we are saying. Right. And what would the gold price be today? What would the interest rate be today if gold was twenty three hundred bit? They're petrified of a rising gold price this weekend. Yeah. Had no chance. We had an option expiry. You've got uh, Bernanke's confirmation. You've got the president's uh, address tomorrow. This is when they go in, in, into action, and they keep doing the same thing. They keep all excitement out of gold. So you have a managed retreat, 5%, five, 10%, ten, five, ten, 15%, 25% a year. But never, whenever it starts to get exciting, they they knock it down, and they get all the excitement out of the market.
4: hmm Well, that's true. And then, uh, you know, those of us who who understand or think we understand at least gold in in a long-term perspective and we see what's going on through the economy have been patiently investing in gold and gold shares for a long time, and it has paid off. There's no question about it. But for those with a shorter-term time horizon, the big market players, the traders and so forth are in and out of gold just as another trading vehicle, I guess. We've only got about 10 or 12 minutes before, uh, before this segment is over, so I'd like to invite anybody who's listening out there that might have another question or comment or challenge for Bill and Chris to call in. That number is 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. I'd like to ask you guys about a lawsuit. Uh, Reginald Howe, who I think is a supporter, has been a supporter of, um, of GATA. Reginald Howe is a Harvard, um, educated uh, lawyer. Uh, he launched a lawsuit against some of the most rich and powerful people in the world and um, I went up there to that court case uh, up, up in Boston a number of years ago and saw Reginald Howe sitting behind a big oak table up there and uh, you know as the plaintiff and the defendants which are the Federal Reserve and Citicorp and J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and I don't know all the you know the heavy hitters in the world um, were on the other table and there wasn't enough room for all those Brooks Brothers suited lawyers to sit around that that table, and they had to sit back in the peanut gallery with some of us. But would either of you care to comment a little bit on Reginald Howe's lawsuit? What happened there, and um, did it prove or disprove anything?
8: Oh, Jay, I think it proved uh, a lot. Uh, Reg uh, was our uh, consultant. He also... Just happened to have uh, to own shares in the Bank for International Settlements. Uh, and uh, at that time, back around 2001, um, the Bank for International Settlements uh, had some private shareholders, but it wanted to expropriate them and become entirely uh, a multi governmental organization. And so it uh, it offered a price to the private shareholders for their shares that Reg considered uh inadequate uh, on the grounds that the BIS held a lot of gold and the gold uh, in the BIS's possession was uh, uh marked to market at uh, you know very suppressed price and he mm-hmm. thought that the uh price being offered for the private shareholders for their shares was very low uh and he used this as his hook to to file a lawsuit against a uh, the general gold price suppression scheme. He sued not only the BIS, but also the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve and the major bullion banks, um, and he did get a hearing. Excuse me, in uh, U.S. District Court in Boston, which uh, you and I both uh, attended. And yes, it was remarkable for Reg being alone on one side and all those lawyers uh, on the other. I, I like to call that case how versus All the Money in the World. Um, the the hearing itself. Uh, Well, it was aimed at trying to uh, uh, get action against uh, the gold price suppression scheme. The the hearing itself uh, did bring out what I thought uh, was was one remarkable uh, thing, and that was a a comment by an assistant U.S. attorney that uh, while the government did not admit the complaint of how, That it was rigging the gold market or manipulating the gold market, the government did claim the power under various federal laws to do so. Mm -hmm. And I heard that distinctly. Now, that was not an evidentiary admission, but nevertheless, it was a statement of the government's position Mm -hmm. that without admitting the gold price suppression scheme, the U.S. government claimed the authority to rig the gold market. Now, uh, Howe's lawsuit was dismissed on uh, jurisdictional grounds. Uh, The judge decided that. Uh, as an individual investor in the BIS, he did not have the authority to bring an antitrust lawsuit such as he had done. The judge suggested that maybe a mining company would have that authority. Uh, no mining company has, has taken up that lawsuit since. However, uh, Blanchard and Company in New Orleans, a New Orleans bullion uh, dealer, uh, basically took the Howe lawsuit, removed the government defendants, and sued instead only Barrick Gold, the the great hedger in the gold market, and its bullion bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, a couple years later, and that suit did sort of succeed. It got past uh, summary judgment in U.S. District Court in New Orleans. It provoked an admission from Barrick that uh, Barrick was the agent of the central banks in shorting gold into the gold market, mm. and it, uh, it it won a a settlement. Now, the settlement was, was not released, but simultaneously Barrick uh, announced that it would uh, discontinue any gold hedging. And, of course, over the years since, uh, Barrick has been steadily closing its its gold hedge book. Uh, so I think you can credit the House for uh, uh, turning Barrick around over the long term and getting... An admission, not only in Boston from the U.S. Attorney that the U.S. government claimed the power to rig the gold market, but also getting the admission that came out in the Blanchard case from Barrick that in shorting gold it had become the agent of the central banks.
4: That is very interesting. Um, You know, and I hadn't really followed it through in recent years to realize the connections there between the Howe case and the Blanchard case. Uh, Blanchard was, of course, uh, I guess it still is, a coin, um, a bullion dealer. Is that right? That's in, right, in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yes. And uh, that was the uh, that was the firm that was started by James Blanchard, who was uh, very influential in getting gold legalized again, so we could actually own gold. I remember talking to Congressman Henry Royce at a CMRE dinner. Royce was, I think, headed up the uh, Bank Finance Committee at that time, and. He told me, he said, you know, I couldn't really understand why the penalty for owning gold was the same as for owning crack cocaine. <laughs> but I guess maybe he didn't really have the insights that gata has in terms of understanding why gold had to be suppressed in terms of the uh, the dirty deeds that I that I believe is is obviously coming from the likes of some of the rich and powerful banking interest in our country.
8: You cannot have a free gold price, Jay, uh, along with unlimited government. If you have a free gold price uh you get limited government and personal liberty i mean that's really why we're so involved in this issue uh, we don't uh, worship uh you know the uh, the golden bull uh, we're not uh, idolaters uh, this
4: is an issue of uh limited government and personal liberty so unlike uh, john nadler's charges it's not uh, a religious experience for you guys no but we
8: do think that it has a very uh, substantial moral component
4: j uh, we'd like to
8: uh get rich uh out of this uh uh work uh on the other hand, I think anybody uh who's doing what he thinks is a good thing uh uh would like to get rich out of it too uh, uh we we would like people to prosper from doing the right thing and i hope it's not too self righteous of us to uh think as we do
4: well i i think you are doing the right thing and i think uh certainly congressman paul would agree with it if, you know congressman paul once told me he thinks that gold as money is biblical that it has uh, a biblical underpinning uh basically to it when you think about the uh, go, if gold really restricts the ability of people to steal uh to rob the wealth one from another then it would certainly seem to have uh you know have some righteousness to it although it likes to be uh, those of us who like to own gold are sometimes um, pictured as uh, as the opposite you know with horns on our head
8: yeah well it's a matter of honest weights and measures and that uh, does go back to uh... Biblical times. Absolutely, uh, that's all. I, I hope that uh, honest weights and measures and fair dealing among people is, uh, uh, you know, not an antique thing.
4: Absolutely, I remember there was a uh, chain in New York City where uh, one of these Korean uh, luncheon places where you would take your food and measure it in uh, in a scale and pay according to the weight, and it was found that these this Korean chain had taken some lead and put it at the bottom of the scales. And those guys got in a lot of trouble. But in effect, uh, whenever the central banks decide to is increase the money supply, and um, you know they're doing much the same thing, I would argue, you guys have had a lot of success. I think, and I know it's. I know you. I know you both have worked extremely hard, and and the amount of information that that is available, uh, and I'm not just talking about gold, but basically economic commentary. Uh, is is tremendous. On a, uh, you have a website called La Metropole Cafe. Bill, could you talk about that just for a little bit?
7: Well, it's called La Metropole Cafe, and can look it up. People can sign up for a two week free trial and see if see if they like it. We've been going for eleven years and uh, have a good following and uh, love what I do, and um, it's uh, been a lot of fun.
4: It's amazing uh, the amount of free content. Well, it's not free. I guess that's a paid for a subscription.
7: Yeah, it's, it's after two weeks, then it's then it's two hundred ninety nine bucks a year. People think it's a value to them, but they can sign it for two weeks to determine for themselves it's, uh, if it's uh, of
4: use. So they can go to Law dot L e l e metropole.
7: Metropol, uh, the
8: L-E-L-E. masculine. Uh, Law is
7: the feminine article. part.
4: Jake. <laughs> Jake. What was that, Bill? Law
7: is feminine. Law is masculine. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know about these things, but <laughs>
4: I know what I like. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that's really great. And uh, uh, but I would just say to to folks listening to this show that the amount of information, great ideas, different writers that you have on there, frequently there is a wealth of information there. So if you care about the economy and not just about gold, but you know what's going on globally, you'll want to you'll want to sign up for this newsletter. Aside from that, Chris, you're involved with uh, a free publication that comes out. It's Scada what is can you tell our listeners about that
8: yeah jay uh Gata's own internet site is g a t a dot org uh we do distribute <laughs> excuse me uh usually every day some uh uh dispatches of interest uh to the uh to the gold and and currency markets and uh those dispatches uh are free if you if you wanna uh sign up for them you can just go to our uh internet site uh dot org and Scroll down in the right column and uh, there's a slot for you to type in your email address and you can subscribe to our dispatches there.
4: Well, I think there are also a chance for people to contribute if they want to contribute to your nonprofit organization and believe in the cause. Uh, I can tell the listeners also that the information that's free is also very, very good. Daily information keeps you posted on some very important geopolitical, global, economic issues every single day. And uh, Chris and Bill, I want to thank you so much for coming on with us um and to be with us to tell us about what you guys are up to and keep us posted we'll certainly want to have you back again sometime thanks very much and we're going to be right back folks uh with the next segment we're going to be talking to Chris Croopy he's the CEO uh of Paramount Gold and Silver we'll be right back with Chris Croopy don't go away
1: Apollo Gold is a gold producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world renowned gold producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Grey Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike river with gold prices near an all-time high investors should consider apollo gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market apollo gold trades on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol agt and on the toronto stock exchange under the ticker symbol apg visit apollo's website at www.apollogold.com apollo gold a golden opportunity for investment Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call.
3: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
6: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
1: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Chris Krupe. He's the president and CEO of Paramount Gold and Silver. Uh this company trades on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, I guess it's the old Amex, as under the symbol PZG. Uh, welcome, Chris, uh, to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times.
9: Well, Jay, thanks, and we're very happy to be here
4: this afternoon. It was a pleasure meeting up with you in Vancouver last weekend and, and uh, reacquainting myself with your story. It certainly is a very exciting uh, company with uh, operations in Mexico. But first, could you give us a little idea of your share structure? How many shares are outstanding, fully diluted, and outstanding now, Uh, a little bit about who owns your company. I mean, who are some of the major shareholders?
9: Sure, absolutely. We're 105 million shares out right now on a fully diluted basis. It's 125 million. Mm -hmm. And so on a fully diluted basis, the market cap runs about 200 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, The major shareholders are Albert Friedberg out of Toronto, Friedberg Mercantile, uh, who owns 15% of the company and 25% on a fully diluted basis. Mm. We've also got a number of funds. We've got State Street. Uh, we've got TD. Uh, we've got a number of pension funds in the U.S. Um, I also own, uh, personally, uh, 3.5 million shares as the founder. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've got the Deutsche Bank. And uh, uh, we've got a whole host of funds, actually, uh, from more from a, a U.S. perspective, because we are in three of the Russell indices and, and on one of the New York Stock Exchange uh, composite indexes. So mm-hmm. we get a lot of liquidity and a lot of the fund, uh, by, by virtue of that, a lot of fund uh, uh, Buying and selling, and which is a which is a good thing for a, a little stock like ours.
4: Oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing, and the uh, the institutions and the shareholders that you have for a company that's not in production, and I don't believe you're planning to go into production anytime soon. Can you tell me what is your share price today? What are you trading at?
9: Absolutely, we were uh, we were at a dollar seventy. I didn't see the close, uh, Jay, but uh, we were in the dollar seventies, and I can just pull it up right now. Uh, we've we've had a good run this year. Uh, I think we started the year probably in the you know around the one thirty mark, perhaps when you were starting to watch it and uh, yeah. moved up quite quickly this year um, with the move up in gold and uh, with some positive drill results.
4: What about your cash situation you've um, You were pretty well cashed up sometime not in the not too distant future as I recall, and you mentioned that on a fully diluted basis you have know, another another twenty million shares or so would that bring in some additional money, I would imagine.
9: Absolutely, uh, we we were uh, fortunate. We took advantage of the
4: uh, the uh,
9: gold market last fall. And in October, we uh, we did a, a nice size public offering of 23 million, and that's in the U.S. and um, and that was without a warrant. And um, so we're, we raised 23 million there. We also uh, picked up four and a half million Canadian dollars from a, a warrant exercise um, uh, just a week or so ago. So we're we're sitting with about 24 million in cash uh, net net. And um, trading, I uh, just seen close at $1.67. So uh, we've we've got another twelve million uh, warrants out there that are held by Albert Friedberg's company, and that's at a five Canadian. So we've got we've got twenty-four million, with an additional, you know, twelve million dollars um, that could come in. Those are unregistered warrants, so they're really intended uh, to be more of a, a kicker on a, a transaction down the road. Okay. So we're, we're, and we have no debt and we have no payments. Um, we spent the last few years picking up quite a, a large land position in, in Chihuahua and uh, about 450,000 acres. So uh, we've done that uh, and we were quite busy buying land when everyone else was uh, sleeping.
4: Was giving it up maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. last year <laughs> when the people the right were scared word. and they couldn't make their payments and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you say transaction. Do you have in mind an acquisition possibly? uh... Are, are, first of all, before you answer that, let me ask you are you planning to be. Are you just an exploration company, or are you planning to be a producer at one time?
9: Well, absolutely. We're set up to be, uh, we are an exploration company. We were founded by exploration geologists, and, um, and with the addition of the backing of Friedberg and his team and, and quite a number of his uh, technical people, we, we continue to be a very strong exploration focused company. This company will hit a fork in the road one day, and we'll, we'll make a decision as to whether it partners with a producer to become a mm-hmm. um, a producer, or um, will will be uh, a candidate for a, a sale to a producer, and and um, you know we've got enough ground here to uh, to explore this district that we're in in Chihuahua. We call it the Palmarejo district. We've got enough ground to, to be there for decades. So you know there could be a, a number of scenarios that present themselves, which wouldn't in an ordinary course. So that, that, that fork in the road will come. At some yes.
4: Time. Okay. So you have um, I don't know twenty some million dollars in the bank. What do you plan to do with it? And maybe you could talk about your Flagship property or one or two properties that you really think are, are, you know, have the potential to grow into something extraordinary that would really attract um, some value for your shareholders, some big value for your shareholders, and and perhaps interest uh, a major. Can you talk about what Absolutely, you've got going yeah. now and and what the future exploration potential is?
9: Sure, we've uh, we've we've set a, a budget for two thousand and ten of six point five million dollars that's mm-hmm. spent on exploration. Uh, we have a very lean operation from an overhead perspective, so. Um, that 6.5 will go all into the ground. We've got two rigs turning right now. The project is, is, there, is better known as the San Miguel Project. It's, uh, as I said, a very large, contiguous land position of 450,000 or so acres. It's in, in a newly emerging district. And this is a very exciting area because there are now five operating mines in the area. And going back 10 years, those five mines were not there. So mm-hmm. These have all come on stream in, as recently as last year with the addition of Coeur d'Alene's Palmejo Mine. Uh, which is uh, is our neighbor. In fact, we've spent some time and we've gobbled up all the ground around them as well. So the idea is uh, we're building a resource. Uh, our last drill program ended off in late 2008 when the markets were very weak, and um, until we raised the first monies last year from Albert Friedberg in March, we didn't get kick, kicking again uh, with our drill program till last summer. So uh, we've taken off from a 2.6 million ounce uh, deposit, which we drilled. Uh, the the two years leading up to 08, and we're now working on making that bigger. So when I say 2.6 million ounces, it's, it's, um, it's an equivalent number, so it's a gold-silver deposit. Um, there's very little base metal in there, extremely little, actually. And what we're doing, so the first step is we're trying to make that bigger. We're opening up new areas in all the grounds that we've bought, so we're in a target testing phase. And as we, we get into these targets, we'll then start to delineate resources within each of these targets. So what you have is a series of of, um, of mineable deposits that are in close proximity to each other, and we keep building out from that, and eventually you could one could conceivably build a mill in the middle of it and ship ore in and out, much like Core is doing with the neighboring uh, Cordillera is doing with the neighboring Palmarejo mine. So we're leaving. We're started off with 2.6 million ounces. Um, we're going to keep going till we hit five. And when I say five, I'd, I'd like to be clear about that. We're, we're shooting for two million ounces of gold, and the attendant silver. And that will work out to be something like 150 million ounces of silver. And you, we're mining them together here. They occur, um, they happen to occur together. And um, so if you measured it all in, it's $5 million. We want to double the size of this deposit in the current drill program, and, and then we will not move into the next phase until we do that. And we will do that. And it's a matter of time and a matter
4: of money. So you're, so you're saying that, the, uh, that that equates to about a 5 million ounce gold equivalent?
9: Posit- that's exactly. That's exactly what we're saying. Uh
4: huh. So then you might be looking at satellite operations to feed a mill. That that's one possible scenario.
9: Yeah, and we're fortunate though is that uh, hmm. the you know from one end of the uh, the near project to the other it's you know it's several kilometers. It's not much further than that. So absolutely, we'd we'd look be looking at a you know a decent sized mill, maybe fifteen hundred tons per day. And. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's just a shot in the dark at this point. And of course, you know, of
4: course. Seriously. So um, are you expecting some drill results to come out pretty soon then from your, uh, from your drill program or are all absolutely. these drill results in them? We,
9: we put some results out in January. We, uh, we opened up a new area that we call the, uh, the San Francisco area, and it's a different type of model for the area. It's a bulk tonnage type target, gold, no silver. Um, and that caught some excitement in the market. And now we've, we've, we're target testing another brand new area very close to the San Francisco area, and we would expect... Some assays in the coming weeks, um, we, we're, we're sort of turning them around on six- to eight-week intervals. So I would say at some point in February, we'll, we'll be seeing some more assays. And uh, we've never really, to be quite honest, we've never really had any bad assay results from this project. In really? the Really? For five years now, we've never had any dead holes. Every hole has hit mineralization. Wow.
4: I guess exciting. Uh,
9: you... we, have, we have a lot of targets, and the question is rationalizing the targets, ranking them, prioritizing them, getting good bang for our exploration dollar in this market is, is key right now.
4: Do you expect to raise more money? You don't need to for a while, I would think.
9: Now you know when we went out to raise the money, we had an overwhelming response. It was a U.S. led deal, a U.S. finance deal, almost exclusively. And um, Albert Friedberg did, by the way, take the first uh, order in that. However, um, and we don't we, we're like we're spending six and a half million this year. We've got, we're sitting on twenty over twenty million, and we're good for at least. Two to three
4: years. Oh, that's fantastic! So you don't have to go out and raise money. You can be selective when you do it, uh, at a strong market position and market timing, uh, you can go out and raise money when it's when it's more efficient to do so. You know, I'd just like to also mention that uh, Rudy Fonk, who's uh, who heads up uh, SeaBridge Gold, we made a lot of money with SeaBridge Gold in our newsletter going back a number of years. And when I saw that Rudy was involved with you, that certainly was another another positive. Um, a point in in my thinking with respect to to your company.
9: Well absolutely Rudy and I share it's very it's kind of unique in this world once in a while and you might know this Jay you meet someone who sh- shares the same point of view and we see the world in the same light.
2: Yeah. He's a
9: mining engineer, I'm an accountant, but we have the same kind of uh, goals and objectives for our respective companies. He's the one who brought me to Albert Friedberg and if if you remember Friedberg got involved at Seabridge probably like you did early and he got in at 70 cents and they really wrote that up very well and he's still in and Before that, Arizona Star, for some of your listeners who remember Arizona Star, they were the guys who took that uh, and financed it and brought it and sold it. And uh, now they're involved in just two companies, Seabridge and Paramount, and... um and uh, so we've also got the luxury of having the depth of the SeaBridge professional uh, technical team because in the winter, the darks of winter, they can't work up north in BC. So very interesting. What they're working in Mexico right now, and I think they <laughs> like that a little bit better.
4: Well, that works pretty good. They like that better than up there, minus twenty degrees up oh, in the north country. I would imagine too. So, well, you know, uh, Americans like to look at Warren Buffett and you know Bill Gates and people like that to to try to make their investment decisions. And you Canadians have. Uh, you know, I think uh, a very, a very, very smart and shrewd investor who's come in and, and has really, to a great extent, has helped to bankroll your company. I think you know people can, can take their clues um, from the actions of some of these really smart, successful investors. So, can you tell our listeners where uh, they can learn more about your company? Where can they? Uh, what's your website they can they can go to?
9: Well, that's ParamountGold.com, and there's a uh, you know a whole host of information. They can also call the numbers there, call the office. I'm always around if I'm not on the road somewhere. And uh, you know, we're, there's lots of information out there. If it's not there, we'll get it uh, in the hands. We also have a few analysts coming up to the site and uh, expect some uh, independent coverage from a couple of the uh, investment banks to be launched in the very near term, and they're up there right now.
4: Well, that would be really good to hear as well um I'm glad that you could be with me today I think we're about ready to take a break here uh, just um, one more thing you do have some other properties uh, besides this one that you named right and you' but basically you're in Mexico
9: Well we've got Mexico we've got a small presence here in Ontario and you know we're working on something there at this point it's fairly small and if something ever comes of it I'm sure you'll hear about it but our pro- our, our, our primary focus is Mexico and we are we are we do like Nevada, and we've, we're looking uh, we're, we're keeping our eyes open there for uh, undervalued properties, and there are a number of them right now,
4: Jay. Very good, Chris. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing uh, your insights on your company, and uh, you know, hope we can have you back again sometime. All the best to you, and uh, keep up the good work.
9: Thank you very much for having me, Jay.
4: We'll be right back, folks, with the wrap up with my uh, partners Chen Lin and Roger We're Going to see what they have to say. Chen might have some uh, investment ideas for you. Roger Wiegand will have some. futures ideas uh, in the commodities markets, I'm sure. So we'll be right back. Don't go away.
1: Apollo Gold is a gold producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of pipe river with gold prices near an all-time high investors should consider apollo gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company well positioned to take advantage of a full gold market apollo gold trades on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol agt and on the toronto stock exchange under the ticker symbol apg visit apollo's website at www.apollogold.com apollo gold a golden opportunity for investment Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard.
3: taylor at gmail.com sign up for jay's newsletter jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program
4: welcome back i am your host jay taylor and i've got roger wiegand and chen lin here with me for the wrap-up this week i'm going to turn to roger first roger you put on a bean trade today could you tell our listeners about that
0: Yes, it appears Jay that the uh, commodities have stabilized and based, including gold and silver. Uh, we're not entirely sure on the metal yet, but it looks like it. Uh, the grain we have been looking at for for several weeks because we think uh, the price has got exceedingly low and they're going to go a lot longer. We put on a November uh, spread, uh, which costs uh, thirteen hundred and fifty dollars per contract, with a potential for five thousand. Uh, That went on today. We're looking at a Canadian dollar. In the next day or two, uh, the Canadian dollar pulled back with gold. It's a commodity-related currency. And we're looking to get two to four points on that, which is two to 4,000. That trade's probably going to be coming up this week, early next. And the next thing, of course, the big one for a lot of our readers and traders, is when are we going to open up our newsletter on the shares for this year? Uh, we've been uh, sitting on our hands waiting. I think we're getting pretty close now, and I suspect it'll either be uh, this coming Friday or Monday when we open up many of our new new choices, new selections.
4: You're talking about equity shares? Equity, right?
0: yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. These would be there. Our, both our junior and senior silver and gold miners and perhaps some of the ETFs, too.
4: Okay, excellent. Chen, um, what about the gold shares? What are your position? Are you? I think you were taking a little money off the table, were you not?
11: Yes, um, I've been very bullish since last December, and then from last December to first week, first two weeks uh, in January, I've been a great run, a lot of stock up like 30, 50 percent with no reason. So I have been taking profit and then more aggressively in the past week. Uh, so I see, you know, the, the market gets a little bit shaking, especially right now with this war between Wall Street and Obama. Mm-hmm. And so they basically what we want to push the market down to, you know, to push uh, Obama back on the financial reform? They can yeah. do anything they want. I mean, because they're getting unlimited supply of TARF money, not TARF, TARF money, thirty uh-huh. percent interest rate from the government. And they can leverage whatever 20%, 30%. I mean, they can, they still get bonus even their bank goes under. I mean, yeah. so it's a, they can do anything they want. So I don't want to get in between their war. So whatever they want to do, they can create some great buying opportunity for me. And, you know, I'm just uh, happy to, uh, to, to watch. I mean, they <laughs> have some dry powder on the sideline, and I'm holding, you know, and, and also have some, uh, uh, you know, not just gold, also position outside gold. Like this year, I have uh, the energy stock, Essica Energy did very well. I have a mm-hmm. North Star Healthcare, I mentioned here today, up 18%. I mean, mm-hmm. those are outside valued, undervalued stock, outside gold, I'm uh, holding those, you know, as well. So I have a balance between gold stock and non-gold stock.
4: Okay, so Roger's turning a little bit bullish. I guess you're still bullish on uh, on, the, on the mining shares overall, aren't you, Chan, for the longer term?
11: Yes, I'm bullish on the longer term. But some are up so much uh, in the short term, so I'm just locking the profit. I was on margin in December, full margin almost. So now I'm not, no margin, I have some cash, and, you know, waiting for the, you know, next opportunity.
4: Mm-hmm. Roger, uh, I think think your view is that the markets are going to get weak, but later in the year. You're you're expecting a fairly devastating decline, ultimately, but uh, but think we've got some time, what, up till May or so?
0: Yeah, I think we've got plenty of time, probably February through April, uh, for the shares to make some good gains. We've got one junior that we've been open on since November. We're up 72% on Clifton Star. Mm -hmm. I'm hanging on to it with a good stop, and... I think we're going to get a lot more out of it. This is the second or third time we've done well with it. But to get to your answer your question, uh, there's going to be some great opportunities, I think, in shares between February and April. And then after that, uh, we hope to cash in the chips and then probably go short on several
4: things. All right. Well, that's... Uh... It's uh chen any thoughts on that? You're you're basically um you know you're staying bullish, really bullish. But what let me I always have to ask you about China if we got a minute left and just if you could give me 30 seconds. China going to is China going to continue growing or are we seeing a potential for a pullback there?
11: Right, the real estimate is really troublesome. I, I learned in the past few days, uh the bank pull back very, very strongly. They actually stopped lending on mortgage. Okay, they stopped stop writing mortgage. Wow. And all the quota for this month, maybe next month are off. So basically you want to buy a home, you know, sorry, you know, even you're you know, hundred percent qualified, no no loan for you. Oh so, interesting. so basically if the government is cranking down very, very hard they try to, you know, cool down the real estate market, which was running like uh, crazy. I mean, going up like crazy all year last mm-hmm. year. So, so I, I think there's, you know, a lot of concerns. I mean, well, there, if they really cool down the real estate
10: market.
4: Interesting, very interesting. Well, we are out of time. I'm sorry, Chen and Roger. I, I cheated you again. I should give you more time here. But, Chen, thanks and Roger, both of you, to, for your insights on the markets. And, uh, I just want to mention people that you can, uh, gain, uh, access to Roger and Chen's letter. Chen, uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling for thirty nine dollars? You get a one month trial subscription. You can get Roger Wiegan's trader tracks for forty nine dollars. Uh, that's a one month trial. You get a three month trial to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech stocks for fifty nine dollars. And uh, I just want to mention next week our special guest is John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and he's got a new book that he's going to talk about next week. John Perkins, you know, you can call in with your questions next week, folks. If you've written, read John Perkins in the past, he's a very exciting guest, and you might want to call in with some questions for John Perkins next week. Uh, before I go, I want to thank Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, Tacy Trump, um, who's really uh, the biggest help to me in terms of uh, getting this together. She's my executive producer. And I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. And so until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you you.
3: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that
2: time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you?
3: Einstein said.